Trails, the podcast for trail riders. Episode 16, Riding in California. Welcome to Happy Trails. I'm your host, Jess. I travel and camp with my horses full time. We get to ride in some spectacular places. I started this podcast as a way to share my experiences and hear from other trail riders. Today, my guest is Tamara Mullins from Bakersfield, California. She's an avid trail rider and has thoroughly explored the Eastern Sierra Mountains. She shares detailed information and beautiful photos on her Facebook page, Horse Poor Forever. The interview I'm going to share with you today is one of the first ones that I did when I decided to start the podcast almost two years ago. I thought I had lost the recording, but luckily recovered it. I hope you enjoy hearing Demara's recommendations. The trails she's been on are truly spectacular. I really enjoyed getting to know her and talking about trails. I hope you enjoy it too. Before I play the recording, I want to let you know about an event that I'm involved in. It's called the Adventures on Horseback Virtual Workshop. It's a free three-day conference from November 29th to December 1st. 18 horse people from around the world will be talking about things like training your horse for trail riding, planning and preparing for a trip, cooking on the trail, horse and rider fitness, and how to prepare to attempt a long ride. I'll be speaking about my experiences conditioning for endurance and competing with non-Arabian horses. Other pre-recorded interviews with people like Bernice Endy, Sandra Smid, Jonathan Field, Kelly Wilson, and Crystal Kelly will be available to watch for free live. If you can't commit to three whole days of sitting in front of your computer, all access passes are available for $67. This gives you lifetime access to the recordings, as well as some books and other goodies. You can register for the event and find more information by following the link that I've included in the show notes. It's also on the Ride Climb and Happy Trails podcast Facebook pages. It's going to be a really great event. I'm looking forward to hearing the other speakers. So now, on to the interview with Demara. So tell me about your horses. Well, I have Jack, and he's my main riding horse. He's a Appy Arab cross. He was born my folks' house. He'll be 17 this next year. And he lived on a 100-acre pasture for the first three years, and then he came to me. My grandpa actually bought his mother, and she had a foal at her side, and he had no idea she was pregnant, and then they had Jack. Gave him to me, um, actually gave both of them to me, after he had a stroke and could no longer ride. Um, we have Mama. She's a foundation app, and she's my daughter's temporary riding horse. And we have two leopard babies that are also foundation apps, geldings, going on two this year. Right now, they're living in the mountains on a 500-acre ranch, getting strong and learning how to do trail. And we'll bring them home in another year or so. With Jack, I particularly feel safer alone after doing many, many group rides, you know, 100 plus riders. And I can do groups, but they're not enjoyable to me anymore because I feel like I'm being defensive all the time. Defensive in protecting my safety, for lack of a better term. So we go alone. But I didn't just saddle up and ride off alone. When I first started riding him, I uh, started with a group of ladies. Well, I started in an arena with a trainer. And he trained him to learn all of his cues. And then I started riding him out on trail. And the people that I rode with lived in Tehachapi. There's a riding club in Southern California called Equestrian Trails International. And they have corrals. And a corral would represent a region or a town. So these people were from the Tehachapi ETI. Three ladies, Edith, Lynn, 
and Susan, and they had old season trail horses, and they would take me out through the foothills of Bear Valley Springs, Stallion Springs, Tehachapi area. Jack would follow those horses that had really good manners, and they taught him his first trail. Then I spent a full summer down at Montana de Oro with him, and I uh, went with various ETI groups. At that time, the ETIs were more, in my opinion, more active than they are now. And so each corral would basically reserve Montana de Oro for a week. And so if you're a member of ETI, you can join any corral's function anywhere. So I spent a whole summer teaching Jack single track at Montana de Oro. Then after that, I did some NATRAC. Can you explain what NATRAC is? Oh, NATRAC is um, North American Trail Ride Conference. It was a group that was started by some endurance riders so they started this club to teach people how to um, some horsemanship skills and to how to care for their horse on the trail. It's a time trail ride. It's not a race. You have a 30 minute window to finish and you have to stay on track during the course. So it's about pacing. And so you're you're on the trail in working conditions and you're being constantly closely scrutinized by veterinarians and horsemanship judges who literally would, it, the natrax I went to, they would literally hide in the bushes and up in the trees to watch us go by and see what we were doing. So you never knew when you were going to be judged. If you can withstand the constructive criticism, it's a very good learning experience. For me, I learned what my horse was capable of. He was under constant vet supervision. He was passing his PNRs. He was passing his stuff, soundness, that sort of thing, horsemanship, safety, and so I did a thousand miles of NATRAC on him. And overlapping with that, I started some endurance and I did a thousand miles of endurance and like somewhere around 200 of the LDs. So at that point, he was really well-rounded. He'd seen everything. You know, we'd been run over by horses. We had cars, we had wildlife, we had, you know, crazy trails. And it was, it got to the point with a lot of the people that I rode with, I sort of outgrew them. Because I wanted to go here, there, and they didn't have the time, the equipment, or the horse. And honestly, having the right horse is a big part of it. And so I just kind of started going out on my own. It wasn't a abrupt thing because when you do like NATRAC and endurance, as you know, at least for me, I chose to ride my own ride solo. I had one friend that I probably did 500 miles with, but for the most part, I did them solo. But I felt protected because if you didn't show up, the vet would come looking for you. You know, they always had you time. They always knew where you were. So it was kind of a way to ride alone with supervision. So as we got better at it, um, then I just started venturing out into the wilderness. And my very first ride was um, to the Lone Pine area, a place called Horseshoe Meadow. And I actually went with the, one of the ETI groups and I went with them. And that's been like 12 years ago now. That was my first time in the High Sierra, and I think it was a four or five day event where we did several rides, and I was hooked. I was just hooked. Um, and so through trial and error, I've developed at this point, because I've been doing it for a while, a repertoire of places to go see and explore. To find information, it was really hard. Like, how do you know where to go? Like, because I just show up somewhere and say, well, let's do this. But I try to do my homework, and that was really difficult and still is. So I started networking on social media and a few internet sites, although the internet sites are dwindling, it seems like, and it's more and more social media. So I made quite a few contacts in social media, and 
other places, like a lot of people I met, you know, through my journeys with ETI, NATRAC, AERC, that kind of thing. And I just started making contacts. And so I am not the least bit bashful to cold call someone and say, tell me, what do you know? Where do I park? How big is it? You know, what are the trails like? And just figure out what I want to try. And then some rides are great. And some are bus. You show up and it's like, well, trails all washed out. It's not that great. And when you're going out and exploring these places in the eastern Sierra, are you going out and camping or are you just doing day rides? A lot of people in the Sierra, when they refer to camping, they're like packing where they're taking their horse out. They take their horse out and they stay on the trail for, you know, days and weeks at a time. I call them day rides um, because I leave camp and come pack to camp the same day. I don't stay out on the trail overnight, but I stay away from my house overnight in a in my trailer. So the Eastern Sierra rides are, well, actually almost every ride I do is an overnight camp trip. I live in a um, not a very scenic area. And so most of the rides, not all of them, but most of them are you know, like 150 to 200 miles from my house is a short drive. Where do you live? I live in Bakersfield, California. So, you know, I can't very well drive to Lone Pine and do a ride and come home. And that's probably one of the closest rides I do, that and Southern Yosemite. What's a typical ride in the Eastern Sierras like for you? On the east side, for the most part, you're going to deal with just indescribable beauty. You're going to see sheer rock cliffs. Alpine Lake after Alpine Lake after Alpine Lake, vista views, some pines, sometimes above the tree line with no pines and just rock. I think there's no place like it on earth. It's just gorgeous. Some people think that they're maybe difficult trails, and I would say that they're difficult to the point that you can't really take an out-of-condition flatlander horse and run them up the side of a mountain at 10,000 feet, but at the same time, If you just have a generally conditioned horse um, and you take it slow and you take off with the idea that, you know, you don't have to finish, you know, there's no shame in getting off and walking if you're in a bad spot and there's no shame in turning back if you're in a bad spot. So with those, that outlook, you can ride anything up there and you'll get a lot of stair steps. You'll get a lot of loose rock. You'll get some shale. I personally have only seen maybe two horses that could do that stuff barefoot. For the most part, you would need a shot or booted horse, some sort of protection, because there is a lot of rock, at least on most of the trails I do. So do you also ride on the west side of the mountains as well? Um, I do a little bit of riding on the west, but not as much because of the uh, bark beetle problem. When I was first started out riding, It was pretty nice over there, and I still go over there. I do Sequoia National Park. I do Yosemite, Wawona, Yosemite Valley. I'm not really sure if that one's east or west. A lot of it's just had so much damage that it's not as appealing to me now as it has been. I mean, there are some beautiful spots, and it's a great place to go, but I just like the eastern Sierra. The, The rocks don't, in fact, I think the rocks are beautiful, the sheer granite walls, all of that. So, yeah, for the most part, if I'm doing California rides, they're on the east side. What are some of your favorite spots to go? Um, You know, well, actually all along the east side. And then it depends on season, too. So for the summer, probably Tuolumne, Big Pine Lakes, Corsage Pass. My favorite destination is a water destination. Like, I, you know, it's not a ride if I don't go see a lake. That's just a personal preference. And so 
those rides run around, you can make them as long as you want, but 13 to 16 miles and uh, you'll pass six or seven lakes, gorgeous lakes. You know, I should add Lone Pine into that too, Horseshoe Meadow. And so that would probably be, for summer rides, my first criteria would be the, the water and the alpine lakes at Lone Pine, Independence, Big Pine, and Tuolumne. So how about the other seasons? For the fall seasons, it's a little different because now I'm looking for color, fall color. Some of those places like Lone Pine and Tuolumne and Independence don't really have the aspens on trail. Big Pine does. Big Pine's kind of a mixed bag, if you will. When you're starting up the first several miles, you're going through a lot of trees, greenery, and it's all outstanding color in the fall. And then in the the summer, it's just beautiful um, green. And then you go up and around through the glacier lakes. The other color spots I probably prefer would be around the uh, Bridgeport area and Sonora Pass area. I tend to go a little farther north. Those rides are less rocky than what I described of the Eastern Sierra in general. It is still the Eastern Sierra, but actually the footing there is a whole lot better. It's um, not as rocky. It's flatter. Some of the rides are super flat. Um, You can take a green horse. I I had an Arab for a while. When I started taking him out on my my own, um, I started him out up around Bridgeport because those rides are flat and easy, relatively speaking. Not much rock, not much climbing. You can you can get into climbing, but not like the Eastern Sierra, where, where sometimes it feels like you're always going up or down. And then you've got the added aspens. And of course, there's always, there's lakes on each one of those rides, at least one. Yeah. In August, I went to the Eastern High Sierra Classic Endurance Ride in Bridgeport, and we rode out to Twin Lakes and then climbed and climbed and climbed and climbed to the top of the ridge overlooking the lakes. And it was absolutely stunning. Yes. I actually, I did the Bridgeport 50 back when Jackie Baumgartner was running it. And some of the trails that I do out of Bridgeport are actually the endurance trails. But it was, it's a little easier now because I can take my time. And what you guys, and I did once, did in a day, I might take two or three days to do. And actually sometimes do the same trail twice except backwards because it looks different if you could do the loop the other way. What made you stop competing and just trail ride for recreation instead? I had people tell me that Jack would never finish a 50, and I had other people tell me he would do just fine. And metabolically, he always did fine, but he's a big 1,200 flat-footed horse, 1,200 pounds and flat-footed. And so while he sailed through the rides fine, I always had it in the back of my head that, you know, I could be shortening his career uh, by doing these because they're, you know, all that trotting, 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 trotting. Also, I just, as I did a few more of the camping rides, I just had other places I would rather go. So a combination of wanting to retire Jack to preserve his longevity, retire him from competing, and just having other places I want to go. You know, it's still open when the new horses come up. Natrack is definitely on the table again because, you know, I, I think there's nothing like it to teach a horse discipline and control on the trail in weird conditions. So I may not be permanently retired, but maybe. Who knows? We'll see how the how they work out. Do you get out of California and ride in other states? Yeah, I do. I uh, try to plan one or two, like, say, three to three-week trips in September, October time. And usually I go up through Utah. And then one year I did the Wyoming, Montana. 
So, but usually I'll go to U- at least Utah, around Bryce, around St. George. Where do you ride in St. George? St. George, um, there's a place called uh, Snow Canyon, um, and then there's uh, Zion National Park. What are those rides like? Well, St. George um, Snow Canyon is a, um, it's red, it's desert, so you wouldn't want to do it in the summer, and um, very red, but not the same kind of red that you would see at Bryce. It's more of like a red sand, real sandy, deep sand, in fact, through a lot of it. And I just go to the Snow Canyon Overlook. It's really pretty. It's, it's a different, it's different than Bryce, but it's still red rock country. And so for that ride, I'll usually stay in um, Hurricane at the fairgrounds. How about Zion? Tell me more about that. The lower side is called Hop Valley, and then farther on up north, I think they call it Lee's Canyon. But it's basically the same trail, just that you're starting at one end of the trail versus the other. And they're nice rides, but I wouldn't drive all the way to Utah just to do that ride. Is there a payoff at the end, like a view of the, the whole National Park Valley? When I went to Zion, no, because what you're doing is you're dropping down, so you you go down. So you start out at the trailhead, actually on either side, and you drop down into what they call Hop Valley. And then you go along this long, flat Hop Valley, which is pretty. You know, there's like red canyon walls on both sides, you know, sheer sheer cliff walls, you know, the little creek going through the middle. It, It is pretty. It's just... For me, there isn't anything spectacular. I think there is an arch you can hike up to, tie up your horse and hike up to. Um, I I typically don't ever tie up and then hike somewhere because I don't want to leave my horse unattended. So I haven't actually gone there. Can you talk a little bit more about Arizona and some of the other places you've been? Well, in Arizona, um, I've gone to Sedona several times, and um, that's really nice. And then I've done some Flagstaff. And I actually did some fall color in Flagstaff, and they've got some really nice stuff there because it's at elevation. And there's, you know, you always think of Arizona as the as the cactus and the desert, and they do have that, but they also have some really nice fall color. And then I've done some rides down around Tucson. A lot, a lot of the areas down there, they have, like, places for the snowbirds to come stay. So you can find places to stay. And the one place I stay at in Tucson, I um, can ride directly into Saguaro West Park, ride out of camp so I don't have to trailer and do the all the great cactus cactus forest. You know, it's, it's a whole different kind of forest. And then um, I've been down to Tombstone. I want to do, I'm probably not pronouncing it, but Chir- Chiriquana. Chiricahua. That one. Yep, that's that's on my list and I hope I make it this year. I don't know. Last winter, we were in Arizona, and while we were down there in Cochise, we heard about the Chiricahua National Monument, but it has a a reputation for having some very narrow trails, and I was a little bit shy about going there because we had just gotten Byron his horse, and I didn't want to get into any kind of tricky situation where we could potentially get hurt. But I think Chiricahua National Monument is a bucket list for a lot of people. It sounds like a a really interesting place to go. I hope you can get there this year. I'm hoping. And I would would probably weave in the Cochise and then also Tombstone again. You know, it wouldn't be. But but my primary reason for going would be to go to uh, the monument. And so I have a, a Facebook friend. He said that it it's, won't be a problem. I don't know that I would take a green horse, but if you've got a regular, you know, horse that's used to doing that kind of stuff, that the it won't be a problem. 
So we'll see. Hopefully I'll make it. The other uh, bucket list that I have is a state that I haven't gone to is um, New Mexico. And um, I wanted to go to White Sands National Monument for a while, but the ride itself isn't doesn't look to be worth it in terms of mileage and time you would spend on the trail to do a drive that far. So I've come up with an itinerary, starting to develop an itinerary for some other places in the area to maybe stitch together a, a trip. You also mentioned heading up north to Wyoming and Montana. Yeah, I did that one year. Um, what I did was is I um, patched together. Like I said, I don't want to just drive really far. I try to stop along the way. Ideally, what I'll do is I'll go to the farthest point and then stop for rides on the way home to break up the trip home. And so I um, went through Utah, did some rides in Utah, and then I did a ride at Grand Teton. And it was one of the prettiest places I've seen. Um, the footing there is a lot different. When you go, when I call them Wyoming water crossings. When you ride in Wyoming, at least the places I went, there are some rocky spots, but the, all the water crossings are bogs. Like you're sinking. You don't necessarily sink to your chest, but you'll sink past the pastern. It's a different kind of footing to whereas in the Sierra and in the rides we do around here, it's rocky and it's hard and there's no give to the ground. Well, there, there's a lot of give and there's a lot of mud, at least the places I was at. And so um, we did a, a ride called Two Ocean, Two Ocean Lake. And um, I rented a trailer because the trailhead, there's no way I could get my trailer in there. And so I rented a trailer and hauled up to the trailhead and did this loop. And it was spectacular and not, not a lot of mud, but one or two places, a little bit. And it was just beautiful. You had a, a view of the two Tetons. There were several of these, like, I like the Vista view lookouts. So several Vista view lookouts with lakes. So that was the, for me, that's the ultimate. And then I went on up to uh, West Yellowstone, West Yellowstone or Yellowstone, there's no horse camps in the park. Like if you go to Yosemite, there are actually three horse camps in the park where you can go to the campground and take your horse and stay there. At Yellowstone and Grand Teton, to the best of what I know, there's no horse camping in the park. You can pack, which means you unload your horse and you go sleep on the trail somewhere. But as far as a formal camp spot, there, there isn't any. So I stayed outside the park. You have to get it in Yellowstone. You have to get a daily permit. And, it, and it's a simple thing. It's, it's not as it's not as oppressive or as intimidating as it seems in the beginning. Basically, you send them an email. They have an online form and you click a box of where you want to stage from. I drove in every day and to get into the park for Yellowstone and Grand Teton. They um, Grand Teton was a lot more lax, at least for my experience. They did look at my Coggins and my health cert, but they didn't get real picky about the trailer. And um, the first time I came through, like you have to have all your windows closed. You can't have any hay. You can't have any shavings on the floor. And they look, they actually open your trailer and look. And then, um, and then I went in and rode and some of the rides were really nice. You could see the, um, the geysers. Horses aren't allowed um, like right on the boardwalks and right next to the geysers, but you can get close enough to where it's a really good view. There's a section of the Nez Pierce Trail that goes through there, and we did that. The, the ride was really cool. I think it was called Mary Mountain. And then the other rides there, I didn't hit any bogs. One had a climb on a narrow trail, but it was called Mystic Falls. 
you would go up and it was just gorgeous. You just went along this creek and you're climbing the hill and then you see these great big falls. And there's several really nice rides you can do that are not the the classic that you see maybe on social media. A little more work, but some of the views are the great payoff. Buffalo too, a lot of buffalo. You definitely have an adventurous spirit and are very comfortable going out on your own. Have you always been that way? You know, maybe. So in the beginning, when I first started, I didn't know that I was supposed to be afraid. And I just did what I always do. You know, you do your homework, you kind of know what you're in for, and you, you're not afraid to turn back or quit, you know. And if it, if it doesn't look good, don't do it. And um, there's no shame in that. There's no shame in getting off and walking. And so I didn't even really know until later on down the road when I was doing ETI rides that, you know, just getting in the tr- truck and showing up. <laughs> You were, that, that was supposed to be intimidating. It didn't even occur to me until people told me. So, um, yeah, I guess, but I'm more afraid of other people, horses running into me and pushing me off the trail than getting into a problem on my own. Demara, it has been so much fun talking to you today. Where can people find information about all of the places you've been? Well, I have a um, Facebook page and I have a Facebook group. And my group is called Horse Poor Forever's Camping and Trail Adventures. And I made that group to put together, and I've got a couple dozen albums, photo albums of actual camp spots, how to get there, videos of the drive into the camp, and then videos and photos of the actual camp spots so people can see for themselves what they're getting into. And then my page, Horse Poor Forever's Trails and Camping, uh, is just where I put my pretty horse pictures It's so wonderful of you to take all of this time to organize all of this information that is absolutely essential in order for people to travel and trail ride. Well, I wish somebody would have done it for me. So um, it's just my way to share back. Damara is the ultimate expert on where to go and at what time of year. Talking with her really makes me miss the mountains. We're actually staying in Northern California this winter while I work training Arabians for endurance. We're only a few hours away from Lake Tahoe and the Pacific Crest Trail. There's snow in those alpine areas right now, but I'm hoping I can get to them in the spring before we head out. If you want to see photos of the beautiful places that Demara talked about, make sure to follow her Facebook page. There you'll also be able to find extensive information about horse camping in California. Well, that's everything for today. Thanks for joining me. Don't forget about the free Adventures on Horseback workshop. I also love to hear from you on the Happy Trails podcast Facebook page or email me jess at rideclimb.com. Until next time, happy trails. The Happy Trails podcast was created and produced by me, Jessica Isbrecht. The show's music was written and performed by Jason Shaw. 